And so far we've discussed discipleship and baptism. We've discussed discipleship and membership. We've discussed discipleship and God's word. Discipleship and prayer. And we still have a couple more topics to come. We'll talk about discipleship and our love for others. Discipleship and serving others. But today's topic eclipses all others in terms of the fear factor that it strikes into the heart of so many Christians. Reading the Bible, prayer, loving, serving others, some of those things take commitment and some of them are not easy, but nothing terrifies us more than the thought of having to witness. I'm not a good speaker. I don't have enough Bible knowledge. I'm not ready yet. I wouldn't know what to say. I don't want to offend anyone. I'd have to get to know the person really well first. I don't have the gift of evangelism. We've all heard those excuses. We're not going to beat around the bush today. We all know we're supposed to do this, to share our faith with others. The words of Jesus are very, very clear. So let's have a look um, at our text for today, found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Notice Jesus said nothing in there about any prerequisite for being a good speaker. He didn't say anything about needing a comprehensive understanding of the Bible. And he didn't mention any set of words that we should be required to memorize. Nor did he put any limits on his command. We're not, for example, commanded to go only to those that we know really well or only to those that we are absolutely sure we won't offend. And neither is the responsibility to carry out this command restricted only to those with the specific gift of evangelism. Jesus is speaking here to his disciples and he's telling them to go out and multiply themselves to make more disciples. And as disciples, the people that he is speaking to are students. And like us, they're imperfect students. Remember only a few days earlier, Peter had denied Jesus. He'd done that three times. Thomas had doubted the resurrection appearance. And even here on the mountain where Jesus had told them to come and gather after his death, we read... When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. And it is to this worshipping, doubting group of disciples or students that Jesus gives his command to go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything he had commanded them. It's a well-known passage. And I think the command is very clear today. So rather than pull the passage apart and attempt to explain it, 
today we're going to take a different approach because I think if we're honest we all understand what that passage means that's not the part we have problems with the part we have problems with is the carrying out of what Jesus was saying so today we're going to go straight for the great big elephant that's in the room when we when we speak about this subject of witnessing and we're going to look at what exactly it is that we find so difficult about sharing our faith with others and how we can overcome these fears to be obedient to the command of Jesus. And I think in this respect, perspective is important. You see, most of us think that witnessing is something that we have to do for Jesus. And with that perspective, witnessing becomes something of a chore. It's a task that we must fulfil in order to be somehow good enough. It becomes something that makes us feel like a failure if we feel that we're not um, doing it as we're supposed to do. It becomes something that perhaps we're not really sure how we should do. Surely there must be some sort of formula that I should be following. And if I don't have the right words and perhaps I'm not 100% sure of what I should be saying, then perhaps I'd better not attempt it at all in case I do something wrong. And that perspective puts the focus entirely on me. It's all about my initiative, my skills, my abilities and the responsibility for convicting others remains with me. But if we shift our perspective a little bit, what if witnessing is not so much something we do for Christ, rather a witness is who you are in Christ? That perspective shifts the focus from me to Christ. And I think most of you would agree that that's a good thing. Because if kingdom growth in our local community depends upon me and my skills and abilities, or even on you and your skills and abilities, I think we're in trouble. But of course it doesn't. And we sometimes like to focus so strongly on the going, on the making of disciples, on the baptising, on the teaching, that we forget that that wasn't all that Jesus said. Of course he said, and surely I'm with you always, to the ends of the age. We are part of a holy partnership. Jesus is with us by his Holy Spirit. He is active and he's alive in every believer. Therefore, witnessing is not something we do for Christ. A witness is who we are in Christ. And as the Apostle Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You or I can't make someone open their heart to the truth of the good news. But the Holy Spirit can. You or I can't give understanding. But the Holy Spirit can. You and I may not be especially wise or especially eloquent, but the Apostle Paul wasn't either, and God used him. You may feel weak or fearful. So did the Apostle Paul. And he was perhaps the greatest evangelist the world has ever known. 
Your words or my words may not seem especially persuasive, but that's okay. Listen to this wise counsel from the Apostle Paul, who was, believe it or not, a lot like you and I. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 5, he says to the Corinthian church, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith may not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So we must know Christ, like Paul knew Christ, and we must seek to cooperate with his Holy Spirit as Paul cooperated with the Holy Spirit of God. If he did it, we would be fools to think that we could do it any other way. If you're a Christian, then Christ lives in you by his Holy Spirit and you are different now than you were before you knew Christ. For some people, it's an overnight change or a very rapid change. They go from one sort of lifestyle to a completely different one. And for other people... It is a process that happens over a lifetime, 40, 50, 60 years, gradually changing to become more like Christ. Regardless of how that change happens, the change does happen and therefore we all bear witness to the difference that Christ has made in our lives. If you are a Christian, then you are a witness. And what type of witness you are, that is entirely up to you. Imagine you're a defence attorney and you're defending a client against murder charges and the case against your client looks grim. You have a witness, but your chief witness, your client's only alibi, is a hardened criminal with a long history of lying under oath. With that type of witness, you're going to have some serious doubts about your chances of success in defending your client. Because regardless of anything that person might say in the witness stand, once the jury finds out about their history, your chances of success have probably gone out the window. Because regardless of anything that they say in court, their life is their greatest witness. And a jury will have trouble believing anything that type of person might say. And that's exactly how it is for us. We seek to share the good news with the people who mostly have no background in the things of God these days. Many people in Australia today have never read a Bible, they've never been to church, and they've never given God much of a second thought. To such people, A life well lived for Christ can be our greatest witness. But equally, a life that's not well lived for Christ can be their biggest stumbling block. You see, when I ask, would you like to follow Christ, what evidence 
does the person to whom I'm speaking have to help them make that decision? In many cases, the only evidence they'll have is my life because I might be the only Christian that they know. Many people today don't know the first thing about the gospel message. They don't even have that basic Sunday school background that was taken for granted 40, 50 years ago. You know, there's a story told of a policeman who was invited to come and assist with an RE class at school, primary school. And so he enters the class and he begins by asking the children, who destroyed the walls of Jericho? And the class stares at him blankly before one little boy puts up his hand and he says, please, sir, my name is Darcy Jones and I don't know who did it, but it wasn't me. And the policeman thought this to be a very cheeky reply. So later on during lunch in the staff room, he mentions it to the principal. And after a pause, the principal replied, look, I know Darcy Jones. He's an honest kid from an honest family. And if he said he didn't do it, he didn't do it. <laughs> now the policeman thought that the principal was either being extremely rude or he was extremely ignorant. And so he put together a letter of complaint and sent it off to the education department. And this is the response he got in reply. Dear sir, we are sorry to hear about the walls of Jericho and that nobody has admitted to causing the damage. If you send us an estimate, we'll see if we might cover some of the cost. <laughs> now, it's a silly story and I doubt that it's true, but it does highlight a truth. 30 or 40 years ago, most primary school children would have been familiar with the story about the walls of Jericho. But today, if you speak to the average primary school class, that's the reaction you'll get, a blank um, face looking back at you. Most of them have never seen a Bible, let alone actually reading one. The Bible is unfamiliar, the gospel is unfamiliar, Jesus is virtually unknown, and as for the unfolding of God's plan throughout the Old Testament, Aside from perhaps the story of Noah, which they may have seen in a children's book because it's got nice animals and a nice rainbow in it, apart from that, the Old Testament is unheard of. And we can't assume that their parents are any better off. And without any of this background, my life might be the only form of evidence that they have. So when I ask, would you like to follow Christ?, what they actually hear is, would you like to be like me? So the very first thing, the most important thing that any witness must do is to make sure that the evidence that they present is reliable. Make sure that the strength of our testimony is not undermined by the way that people see us live our lives day to day. Seek to walk closely with God each day of your life. Pray, immerse yourself in God's word, get involved in a church community and live out your faith by loving and serving others. All of the things we've talked about as we've thought about being disciples. Of course, we're all going to make mistakes from time to time and we will never be perfect. But if my relationship with Christ isn't active and alive, then I don't have anything to share with anyone else. Now, of course, you can't just 
live a godly life and expect that magnetically those that you come into contact with will turn to God. People also need to be challenged by hearing the gospel. They need to hear of God's love for them and hear that Christ died for them. Romans 10:14 reminds us of this fact. And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Before we can tell anyone anything, though, we need to earn the right to be heard. Otherwise, like this poor guy standing on the street corner earnestly preaching, our efforts will be largely ignored. Now, in part, you earn that right to be heard on the strength of the witness of your life. But you also need to be where people are. Get out in the community. Get to know people. You need to be a good listener. Jesus went to where people were. He sat with them at wells. He called them down from trees. He ate meals with them in their houses. He attended their wedding parties and he walked with them on their roads. He had compassion towards them and he listened to their stories. What he did aligned with what he said. And so he earned his right to be heard. James puts it this way. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That's how you earn the right to be heard. It's easier said than done. Being a good listener is an intentional thing. It's an act of love. It's an act of love born out of an attitude of humility that values others over ourselves. Good listeners are needed in our playgroups. They're needed in mainly music. They're needed in the craft group. They're needed in the link ministry. They're needed in our homes. They're needed in our streets, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our sporting clubs. Because if we're not prepared to listen to others, why on earth should they be prepared to listen to us? Good listening is hard work because we all like to be heard. But in the words of Bonhoeffer, we should listen with the ears of God that we may speak the word of God. <coughs> and so when you've earned the right to be heard, to speak the word of God into someone's life, what is it that we should speak? Well, first and foremost, you are a witness. So share what you have observed. Share the difference that God has made in your life. And if that's hard and you think you might have nothing particularly to talk about, then we need to ask ourselves, why? Why is it so hard? Why do I have nothing that I think is worth talking about it? Do you know those types of people, I'm sure you all know one or two of these types of people, who seem to spend their whole lives uploading things to Facebook or to WhatsApp or to Instagram? It's not a chore for them. They love to share their lives with others. Have you ever met one of those people? I've known a few of them. 
There's the the mummy blogger type people. They have a baby and suddenly everyone in their social network has to know every single move that the baby does. She tried to roll but she didn't quite make it. Here's a photo. She reached out to grab something. Here's a photo. She made a noise and it might have just been a word. Here's a photo. She's getting a tooth and it goes on and on and on. Five minute updates on what this child is doing. Perhaps they've got a new job and you get a blow-by-blow -blow description of every conference they've ever been to, the food that they eat on every conference, the trips that they take, the hotels that they're staying in, or the foodie types. Foodie types are the ones that can't make a meal or go out to dinner without photographing it and uploading it for everyone on their social network to comment on. Most of us know people like this. And if you're close to them, it's probably fine. But if you're not, it gets a little bit annoying. But at least they're passionate. They're passionate about that new baby, about that new job, or about the food, or whatever hobby or interest they have. The Lord of the universe has changed our lives. And that's worth sharing. That's worth being passionate about. And if that's that passion is not there, if it's waning or if it's gone, then our first job is to fight to rekindle that passion. To go back to a time when we just couldn't stop sharing about the things that Jesus was doing in our lives. The message itself that we have is astoundingly simple. And it hasn't changed one bit over the years. It is still the same as when the Apostle Paul penned his letter to the church in Rome. If you signed up to the Treasury Project and are memorising that one scripture a week that they send you each week, you'll now be a little over halfway learning the key scriptures found in the book of Romans that summarise the gospel message. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10, 9-10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And Romans 10.13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That message is very simple and it is un changing. So the first thing we need to remember is not to overcomplicate it for people by adding to the message that's already there. Don't introduce what we might call secondary doctrine. There's no need to argue with people so that they believe every single thing that you believe about baptism, about the end times, about creation, about women in ministry. Stick to the main message about what Christ has done in your life and the road to salvation. So if we go ahead and do that, 
what are some of the things that we might expect as we engage with other people? Well, firstly, expect that you will convict no one. Remember, you're part of a holy partnership. It is not your job to convict anyone. You witness and the Holy Spirit brings that conviction. So do your role as part of that partnership. Do the witnessing. Ask God to lead you to people whose hearts are already open and prepared for the things of God. Ask him to help you connect with genuine seekers people that he's already prepared to receive what you will speak into their lives. You can expect rejection. Jesus was rejected. Why should you expect not to be rejected? John 6, 66 says, From that time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Why? Because the message that he was speaking was hard and it involved change in their lives. You can expect that your own faith will deepen. It doesn't matter if you're tutoring someone in maths or you're leading them to Christ or leading them in a Bible study. I think it's always the teacher who is the biggest beneficiary. No one benefits from my preaching more than me because the process that I have to go through of waiting on God, of discernment, of research, of arranging your thoughts in a way that you think might make sense to others embeds the word of God in yourself. And when we share our faith with others, we go through exactly that same process. Waiting on God, discerning the right time, the right person, and then getting your thoughts into some sort of logical sequence so that what you say might make sense to others. Sharing our faith provides opportunity for God to work through us. And that alone will deepen your faith. Philemon 1.6 says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. Be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Finally, you can expect to be a winner regardless of the outcome. There are three possible outcomes when you share your faith with someone else. Outcome one, the person comes to Christ. That's the outcome we all want. And you're an all-round winner there. Um, you feel great. The person you've just witnessed to is forever changed. And there is great joy in heaven. But that doesn't always happen. Outcome two, the person is interested in what you say but they don't commit. That's a winning outcome because you've planted the seeds and now it's up to you to trust that God will do the watering and send someone else to do the nurturing. 
And finally, option three, the person rejects you outright. Perhaps they aren't exactly polite about it either. Doesn't sound like a great winning outcome. But what does the Bible have to say about that outcome? Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Blessed are, people who, when, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. You know, if I knew how to solve the coronavirus problem that the world is currently facing, but I chose to keep that solution to myself, what would you think of me? You would think it was a crime to keep that information to myself while people die all over the world. Of course, I don't know how to solve the coronavirus problem. I wish I did, but I do know how to solve a far greater problem and how to save countless lives, and so do each of you. Each of us knows how to solve the problem of sin, because we know the one who has defeated sin and in whom there is eternal life. And that is something that none of us should be keeping a secret. You are the light of the world. We are the light of the world in this community. So let your light shine before others. Amen. Would you join with me?